Welcome to the Student Affairs Spectacular, the weekly podcast giving you a front row seat to the greatest student affairs show on earth. And now your ringmasters, Tom Kriegelstein and Dustin Ramsdell. Welcome to another episode of the Student Affairs Spectacular. This is Tom sitting in the host seat for today's interview where I got to interview Rick James. Now I know what you're thinking. You're like, Rick James? Uh, no, not that Rick James, but equally as amazing. Uh, this is Rick, Rick James from Tidewater Community College. He's actually a professor and a department head for the criminal justice department. I first ran into Rick James uh, when I was doing a training at Tidewater, and he just blew me away because he's an advisor and a faculty member, and his energy is just contagious. I said, Rick, we have to get you on the podcast because there are so many uh, faculty people that could learn from your ability to lead and be an advisor for this org- this club that you're, you're advising, uh, and also uh, for the student affairs professionals to learn how to advise better or connect better with the faculty advisors. So Rick and I sat down, we talked for a, a bit over 30 minutes, and um, we went from everything from uh, why it's important to have org advisors, why faculty should be org advisors or club advisors. Uh, he talked about how to bridge the gap between between the, the curricular and the co-curricular side of the institution. Uh, we also uh, talked about like what he wished you would have known when he started off, because he started this club when he joined. Um, and then he also has this really interesting uh, uh, two tips that I, I don't want to break them yet, reveal them yet, but one, because he does teach classes, he talks about how he recognizes how to do a seating chart in the class uh, that I think a lot of people who teach FYS classes or something might connect to. Then uh, also, this was a big one because I know a lot of you deal with the, the issue of one year your student group is amazing, then next year it's not so good. So he talks about his strategies to keep the transition going, the energy going from year to year. Uh, and then, of course, I, I gave him some of my rapid-fire questions, and one of them was, what's one thing on your desk that you couldn't live without besides your computer? And uh, Rick James is a uh, – he is an old-school uh, – uh, old schooler, and you'll see why in his answer. And then uh, we close out with, uh, of course, some Thomas Jefferson leadership stuff, which uh, Rick James is just, a, he's a, an amazing individual that I feel like a lot of us could learn from. So with that, enjoy this episode. So here I am, I'm checking my microphone. Rick, can you check yours? My microphone's working, check one, two, three. All right, we we have connection. What? The people... <laughs> that are going to listen to this podcast have no clue, but uh, I'm going to leave this little segment right here in so that they understand that we had wild technical difficulties to actually make this conversation happen, but it's well worth it. And we overcame it. And we overcame it. I feel like there's a life lesson in here somewhere. Uh, all right, Rick, I want to set up just quickly how I first came into connection with you, and then uh, I'm going to ask you to share who you are, because... Uh, the reality is, like, so how it worked is I was, I was doing a program for Tidewater Community College uh, for, the, for mostly the student leaders, but then there were some other people. And anytime I do a leadership training, uh, it's almost 99% of the students themselves, and then maybe there's a staff member there. But at this training in particular, you popped in, and all of a sudden there was just pure energy. And I was like, who's this guy? Uh, is, he, is he head of student activities? Is he... Had a student life? Is he, um, you know, is he is he uh, is he somehow involved in the student activities part of the campus? And 
your student said, oh, no, 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 he's our advisor. And I was like, advisor? I do not know many advisors of clubs organizations, specifically ones who are in the faculty side that side that take the extra effort that um, it seems like you're taking. So I said, well, we got to get Rick on this podcast to talk about uh, who you are and why, this this thing that you're taking on that's in addition to your job role. So that's my ode to you for the awesomeness that you are. But let's tell tell everyone who you are because I'm sure most of our people have, have never met you before besides your amazing name. Well, of course, my, my name is uh, Rick James and I'm a professor of administration of justice at Tidewater Community College. And first of all, I love what I do. I love the opportunity to teach students. I love the opportunity to watch students grow. Uh, I'm a, I started off in the military, did 27 years uh, with the police department, and my department helped me get my education from my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, and my legal education. And I've been an adjunct professor for about uh, five years uh, before I retired from law enforcement. And then an opportunity came for a full-time professorship at Tywood Community College. I applied, was hired, and now I'm the department head for administration of justice for Tywood Community College. And as a department head, I wanted to give my students on a community college level a four-year college experience, um, particularly by starting to get them involved in a club. So what I did was I had some of my students to investigate the Criminal Justice Club at the four-year colleges, and that's where we got started with so, the Criminal Justice Organization. So let me ask, was there a Criminal Justice Organization prior to this or no? It was not. There was not, so it didn't even exist. It didn't uh, exist. Now, Tywood Community College is the second largest college in the state of Virginia. We are roughly around 45,000 students. Wow. But And, it, and we've always had the, the Criminal Justice major, but we've never had the Criminal Justice organizational club. So why did you choose above and beyond the concept of just the classroom work, which is where your job is, your job description? Like, why would you even bother doing that extra effort to have a criminal justice club for your students? Well, I just thought it would benefit the students. And the the students had an opportunity to meet and socialize with other students. And then also, I thought, under the umbrella of the club, it gave me another avenue to expose my students to other gatekeepers or professionals in the field by going on trips. We've been to Washington, D.C. We went to uh, watch the federal trial of the Somali pirates right here in Norfolk. They had an opportunity to speak to the judge. Uh, I mean, there's just so many different things that they experienced uh, being members of the Criminal Justice Club. They went to William & Mary Law School to talk to law students there and, and uh, you know, get an example of what it's like to take an exam while in law school. And I think that makes them all around better students. And when they transfer to the four-year college, you know, they're going to be just as good or better than their peers when they transfer to the four-year college. But why not do that within the classroom as part of just the curriculum for your class? Why, why did you choose then to say, like, we need now to have an extra, a club that's a criminal justice club? Well, again, I think it, it, it gives the students another part of the educational process. And, you know, at Tidewater Community College, we have this saying, you know, you know, how you can lead a horse to the water, yeah. but you can't make them drink it, right? Well, one of us saying at Tidewater Community College is, how do you make horses thirsty? Hmm. And so if you can make students thirsty for their education, then they will learn. Yeah. And they will continue their educational, you know, endeavors. And so the criminal justice 
organization is one way of drawing those students in. Now, mind you, you can be a student that is, uh, for example, nursing. We are doing forensic science starting in the fall, so we're drawing in nursing students to get into forensic nursing. And then, and then the relationships you get from members of the club is different than the classroom setting uh, because um, with the club, it's more intimate. It's a more intimate setting than the classroom. And it seems like, you know, going back to the, the, the horse and the water uh, analogy, is that if in the classroom you spend a lot of time with the theory, you're getting them thirsty, and then the, cl- the, the club itself is you're actually going out and putting theory to practice. Right, right. We, we want them to, to thirst for more learning. And not only that, it's easier being successful through this educational endeavor when you're going through it as a team. And so I have several students that are interested in going into law school. And my only request to them is that that when they go through law school, they go through it as a team. Don't go through law school as an individual. Uh, when you're ready to quit, your team member is going to keep you going. When one of your team members is ready to quit, you're going to keep them going. Y'all are going to study together. You have good habits. You can be safe. So this whole educational process, there's a there's a system. You know, there's a, there's a process to making it through your educational endeavors and Working with others is part of that. Yeah. Not only that, I think once we graduate and become a professional in the field, you have to learn how to communicate with others Yeah. and, and be uh, socially acceptable. So what would you tell the other faculty members uh, who were on the fence or like didn't really see the value, the academic value of a club? What would you tell them? Like, Why does the club experience for the student matter to their academic success? Well, I think as, as educators, we have to practice what we preach. You know, if we are really involved and we're really dedicated to the educational process, then we have to show the students, you know, our commitment to them. So I give, one of my students asked me, he says, um, Professor James, I notice you always wear a shirt and tie. And, you know, you're always professional. And, and why, why are you dressed like that all the time? I said, me wearing my shirt and tie and acting professional is my way of showing respect to you as a student. Uh, and you as a student, when you come to class not wearing your pajamas and all those things, it's also showing respect to me as your college professor and to your learning environment. So it's a, it's a, a respect that I show to you. And then I asked him, I said, how would you feel if I came to the class to teach you guys in my pajamas? They said, well, we wouldn't have any respect for you at all. <laughs> I said, you're right. You're right. I said, so, and then what I learned was Based on my example I'm setting for my students, I noticed, particularly with my male students, that their level of dressing professional increased based on the example I was showing them. And then their level of professionalism increased. Their behavior changed. All that changed because, you know, we as college professors, we are mentors. And we do set the tone or the example for what's going to be expected from our part of society that's educated. I mean, think about it. And I tell my students, because you're in college, your peers and your even your neighborhood are going to come to you for advice because they know you're college educated. Yeah. And so that's a huge responsibility for you guys. And then anybody that get in, you know get into learning know that uh, you change as a human being. Yeah. Uh, when you uh, gain enlightenment or you gain more knowledge about particular subjects. Yeah, I love what you're saying there in terms of, you know, at you as a faculty or staff and administration that that 
we don't even, sometimes we don't realize it, but the students are constantly looking at us and looking up to us to how they should act or interact or behave in situations. And when we choose to show up in a certain way, we're giving permissions, permission to the students to show up in that way, for better or for worse. And, Absolutely. And a great example, I remember, like, I've done, I've done so many staff trainings, and it's always funny to me that we, we preach to our students, like, go sit up front. That's where the action's at. Like, really participate. Get involved. And then we do the staff training, and where do they go and sit? All the in st- the back. <laughs> right, in the back, cross their arms, pull their phone out, and just disappear. And I'm like, you know, if, we're, if we show up to the game at 30%, we're only given permission to our students to show up at 30%. But if, we, you know, right. but if we choose to show up at 100%, we're giving our students permission to play up to 100%. It doesn't mean they will, but at least we're giving them permission to. Right. And then what I've also learned is that if a faculty allows a student to sit in the back and hide, and usually the students sitting back and hide are usually the students that need to be sitting up in front. Yeah. You know, we are helping that student fail in their educational process. And so all my students know that I know who's going to be sitting in the front of the class is that the first day of class, all my students were sitting on the back row. The second day of class, I have them sitting on the front row when we have our assigned seating, because I have assigned seating yeah. in my class that I break up in groups. So I know who my, the students that I need to focus on the most by the, watching those get in the back of the class and sit all the way in the back. This Those is, are the ones I need to pay most attention to. This is a good tip because a lot of the a lot of the people that are going to listen to this, they run some sort of class. So on day one of class, don't assign the seats yet. Just no, make you it. don't assign the seats because you need to find out who are the students yeah. that's going to try to hide the most. So you let them naturally sit where they want to sit because your smartest students, the ones that really want to be there, they're going to sit all the way in front. And those are the students that probably need the least amount of, of supervision. It's the one that sits up in, in the back. And here's another thing. The ones that sit in the back and that are very quiet, when I break them up into teams, I make them team leaders. Nah, I like it. Yeah. So you got to grab them in. you got to pull them into this educational process. Now, I just don't set them up for failure. What I do is I assign them to another student that I know is one of my better students. And so it's not only I'm educating that student, but the students on their team are also assisting with educating them. Yeah. You don't take all the people who need extra attention and put them on a team together. And I've heard that term. I've heard the term near peering before, where you take someone, maybe one of the better students, who's who's just a, just a few steps ahead, not too many steps, but just a few steps ahead. Attach it to someone who's a few steps behind, and that near peering allows for them not to be too far apart. That the person at the the lower level feels demotivated because, like, oh, I'll never achieve that. But then the person who just learned it. They still feel motivated because they're like, oh, it's refreshing for them and they it to, to teach us to learn. So the person who's a couple steps ahead is relearning it, so they're better ingraining it, and they help the person who's uh, a few steps I, below them. Absolutely. I learned that from in college working on my master's degree. <laughs> I was so afraid of quantitative methods that I waited to the, one of the last classes to take, and I didn't want to take any other classes with it because I know I have to make at least a B. So my first day in class... I'm looking for the person who answers the most questions, who says this is a piece of cake. I made that person my friend. I sat beside that person. That person assisted me after class. Whatever they did, I did. They got an A in the class. I got a B. I was the happiest person in the world. I remember at my community college, my strategy was to sit next to the non-traditional students in class. Because <laughs> yeah. they were the ones... Absolutely. 
they they were the ones that were they didn't they didn't want to me- they were done they didn't want to mess around like they were hyper focused on what they needed to get done so I would pair up for them for projects I would sit next to them it was it was almost it was uh, I know Tony Robbins like famous uh, motivational guy he he has the phrase that proximity is power and yes, yes. you know and I would just physically keep myself close to the people who were doing it right. And and it just rubbed off on me, and and sure enough, it turned my life around a bunch. And at my two year, yeah, and so we as educators, we know this. We know if we allow those students to sit in the back of the class, not participate in college activities, that they are less likely to be successful. Yeah. So, and I know, and I, I I really with a passion, I try to get my students involved in the criminal justice club. You have to make it fun. You have to make it uh, beneficial to the students. They have to get something out of it. And again, they see, they feed off your excitement. The students watch it. And so I have to make sure that when we're doing things, I'm always giving feedback to the students. And then here's the next thing. The student organizations are the students' club. It is not mine. Yeah. My job is the advisor and the connection between the campus and the students to make them very successful in whatever they want to do in terms of their uh, development of the club. Surprising to no one, the first year we had the criminal justice organization, we made club of the year. Wow. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, and you know, and huh. I credit all that to the students because, and then all my students that are participating in the club are also honor roll students. Whether they started off on roll or not, they all rose to the level because they understood the importance of being a member of the student body and that they would not only represent themselves as individuals, but they were now representing the college. Yeah. So what I, I, I've, I've told this story before on the podcast, but really quickly, because I know you probably haven't heard it, is that uh, I, was at, I was working with a school down in Florida, and, and we were walking around campus, and they were showing it to me, and there was a river kind of running through the middle of campus with buildings on either side of the river. And I was over, most of my day was spent on one half of the river, and I was like, I, I knew that as like student life, student services, buildings. And I was like, oh, what are those buildings over there? And I pointed to the other side of the river, and they said, oh, that's the, that's the academic stuff. And I said, so you have a literal moat running through your campus wow. dividing curricular stuff and co-curricular. And in your experience, being someone on the faculty side that is, that is bridging the gap, if you were, if you were sort of like advising um, another school on how to bridge that gap between the two worlds, in your, in your opinion – in your experience, when does it? When is it its best version? When 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 is it a best version? When the student services side plays well with the academic side, and the academic side plays well with student services side. When does when do those two cohabitate and work well to succeed? Well, you know, just like it is when in my classroom on a college level, it has to come from administration down. When, now you may know that Tidewater Community College uh, is separated into uh, four different cities. But our president always say we are one college. Yeah. And students have to understand whether you are in the workforce development side of the college or are you on the academic side of the college, that we are one college. Everyone are students and everybody's important. You can't separate uh, people by their amb- ambitions. There are some people that just want to go into welding or uh, HVAC and they can earn decent livings and support a family and make great money, and they're doing what their passion is for. And there are other students that want to be nurses or doctors or lawyers. All those are good employments, 
all those are, are, are students that we want to provide a service to at Tidewater Community College, and they are all important parts of the community. And so you can't put a moat or a railroad track separating one side of a campus to another side of the campus because students are going to take that into their adult learning or their adult experiences that we need to separate people based on a caste system or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, it seems like if we put the student at the center and and focus on what are their needs and what how can we all collectively support to develop them, uh, that's a good place to go from. Students are our clients. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one wants to say the, the client word in higher ed, but, I mean, if they if they didn't show up, uh, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> like that's, that's it. And I heard this recently. It's kind of a tangent, but I heard this uh, uh, last week. Someone said... Uh, um, you know, in, in 10, 15 years, colleges, physical colleges aren't going anywhere, but the students might. That's true. That's true. And I thought about it. I was like, wow, you know, like that's a big thing because that could be, I mean, there's certainly lots of options and, um, but I, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, one of the things I see is like what you're doing with the students, you can't replicate that. Uh, in an online in, in university, or it'll be difficult. But you know, you know, I put this, I put a challenge to the students. You know, and I always challenge them to do better. And and, and I always, you know, there's, we can't. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, there have always been good educators out there. Some of my own college professors, and basically all I've done is taken the the, the best things that I've learned from my college experience and pass those lessons on to my students. In fact, those are things, these are things that work. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to evidence-based practices now. And I share those practices that, I've, that have been proven to work with students. And you can just go down the list. Those are the things I'm sharing with the students. It's working. The students are really enjoying themselves. They're, they're excited about coming to school. Enrollment for class, class participation has gone up. Um, showing up for class is going up because when you separate your students into teams, then the, the students use peer pressure to make sure the other students show up for class. Yeah, you know, so and it makes it fun, and, and then the students see that other people depend on them to be successful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, if you were, if you could go back um, to when you were just starting off as a club advisor, uh, what, what's like? What's one piece of advice you wish you would have known, or you would have told yourself now, based on what you know now? Well, you do your research on clubs. Um, I know one of the things that I, I find your, your your student organization's policies and procedures. Mm. Go through that first, because I know with clubs you always want to be energetic about and enthusiastic about doing things. But you want to make sure you're not violating any schools' policies or yeah. procedures. I, I give an example. The first trip we went on uh, to a briefing at the airport, I think it, we didn't have all these permission slips signed because I'm thinking permission slips are for high school students. These are all adults. And so we were planning this trip, and I didn't have not one permission slip, slip signed. Well, you know, for, for accountability and for liability purposes, there has to be permission slips signed. And so at the last minute, I had to make sure that those policies and procedures were not violated. So what I would say is make sure you clearly understand your campus policies and procedures, 
uh, and your forms very carefully before you uh, get involved in student advising. Yeah. And make sure you have you always have to have a core group of students that's willing to take that bull by the horn. Yeah. And so I, you know, talked to some of my students initially to see if there was an interest in having a criminal justice club. And because if there's no interest, you can be doing it by yourself. There were an interest. And then there were students that were willing to be stakeholders because you got to create a constitution and the bylaws. And so you got to have somebody willing to do that. Luckily, we had several students at Tidewater that was very energetic and eager about doing those things. With my help, we was able to go through those forms and paperwork very easily. Yeah, that's a uh, two things on that. One is definitely I've heard over and over the advisor is the bridge between the administration, the school policy, and the student's ambition. Absolutely. And so you have to and play then, that. And then also, uh, one of the things my students did was they reached out to the four-year college campuses that had student uh, criminal justice clubs and asked them for advice. Yeah. Yeah, so they said, hey, we're at Tidewater, we're a two-year college, and you guys have been at a criminal justice club there. Can you give us some advice? And then they built relationships, and then one of the trips that they wanted to go on is to actually go visit those students at that four-year college that assisted them in getting started. I, I love that piece because uh, when I went from my two-year to my four-year, uh, there was no link. There was no connection between it. And, and I was, I was uh, president of the, the programming board, whatever. And so, or, sorry, I was VP. And so when I got to the, the college, the four-year, I wanted to jump right into the president role. But no one knew me. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> like, we're not voting you. And I'm like, oh, but I was really super involved. And I was a great VP. So, like, this is my natural next step. And they right. didn't, there was no, there's just no, there's no relationship and no, I don't want to say in a bad way, but no respect for the experience I had in my two year. But what you had them do is you're helping not only, you're helping them bridge that gap between the two year and the four year so that if they choose to go to those four years, it's like, it's going to naturally allow them to plug into the club, which if nothing else is a great social group. So they're going to feel socially connected to this institution, which is uh, the number two reason students drop out is they don't feel socially connected to the institution. So, like, that's that's just super smart. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we did. I love it. All right. Uh, I got a few more for you. Can you hang on? You still good? You still good? I'm still good. All right. So, because uh, I, I love this. And there's just not a lot of good information uh, for advisors out there. And, um, and so I know, and I know that this is one of those things. So, uh, in terms of resources, are, are there things out there? Like where, where would you go, where would you point other people to to want to learn more, to be a better effective advisor? There's tons of stuff online about student clubs and student organizations. It was for, for our students that did the research, it was overwhelming for them. And so what they end up doing is looking at the, the clubs and organizations that was within the local region. So, uh, you know, with the Internet, there's tons of resources out there. And you'll be surprised that when you contact some of these other clubs and organizations, how willing they are to share information with you. Huh. Again, no one's trying to reinvent the wheel. Not only that, now my students are excited about um, sharing information with other colleges. And the ones that's going to transfer to a four-year college, if they don't have a student uh, criminal justice club there, they're going to start one. Yeah, And so it's something that really... Is beneficial for everyone, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and and that did, that just sparked me because I, I I knew I had um, 
two two things. One, I, I, the ACUI study, and I'll put it in the show notes so people, if they if they haven't seen this yet, uh, it's a great study. It talks about what are the keys to being a, a successful academic, uh, a successful uh, club advisor. So I'll put that in the notes. Uh, right. but, that, but that sparked me uh, about five minutes ago. I said there were two things. I said one of them. I forgot the second one. When you were saying have a core group of students that really like wants to do this, how do you, for you is every year equal? Meaning the group of students that you have in the club is it equal year to year? And if if not or if so, like how do you manage that? The, the the transition of knowing that, especially at a two-year, just when they're starting to figure it out, they're gone. Well, I've always been trained, particularly with my college fraternity, is training for leadership. And so every time someone gets into a leadership position, a, a board member position on the, on the club, their number one task is to find another student, mentor them to fill their role. That's important. Mentorship is important. So even right now, our president is going to be graduating in May. We already know who's going to be the new president in the fall because our current president has mentored him. This person has failed to seat as vice president. And so as vice president, he assists the president of the organization. And next year, he's looking forward to be president of the organization. Once he becomes president, his job is to find someone else to fill his role. But right now, as vice president... He's mentoring another student to fill the role as vice president. Yeah. So everybody has an important job to teach. You know, Thomas Jefferson said, all good leaders are also good teachers. And so once you get into the board member position, not only you have to lead, but you also have to teach. And you're going to teach other students how to get into those leadership roles. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I love it. So you, all, you always got to have someone in the pipeline ready to go. Yeah. Don't wait until there's a void before you start looking for people. Because then they're not going to be ready and they're not going to have the confidence to fill that role. But if they've been mentoring and shadowing you for a course of a year or two years, when it's their turn to lead, they're ready to go. They're, like, they're, they're ready to push you out of the way, ready for you to graduate where they can take the rings yeah. and be leaders. And, I really, and what, what's going to happen is they're going to be good leaders in, in the professional arena also. Yeah, 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 that's so good. And I remember when I was there at Tidewater, I remember uh, talking with your club, and there was, there was the new, there was the outgoing president, and the new, uh, I don't know if it's president, some position, and they were talking, and they, and they were, they, and I, I was just remembering being like, ah, that's so good to, to keep the continuity and the, the motivation and the, and the, the knowledge um, from year to year. Because so many schools, they go, they're like, oh, this school, this group is a great group this year, but then next year is horrible, or two great years, and then the third year is horrible. Um, so yeah, that's a good one. Well, we know what causes that, don't we? Complacency, you're not training for leadership, not allowing to do this, uh, the, not allowing the students to run their own organization, because if the students are doing what they want to do, they'll stay involved. So yeah. it has to be something that students are excited about doing. Yeah, I love it. Uh, quick question uh, before I get into the rapid fire round. How many officers do you have in, in the, the Criminal Justice Club? Seven officers. Seven officers. Is that pretty standard Pretty standard year to year? It is. It is because there's so much to do. You know, we have one person that's in control of marketing. We have one, of course, you have a president and a vice president. We have a secretary. Um, we have the marketing and the promotions. And then we have one that does... Um, Treasurer, maybe? Uh, the treasure, And then we have one that does... Uh, um, Social media, okay. Because 
some of our students, because they have other jobs or families, we can they can attend the meetings through social media, yeah. through uh, Facebook or through, through conference calls. When we have our, our weekly meetings, there's three different avenues that you can join the meeting without even physically being there. Oh, interesting. And so that's very important. So it's convenient for other students, too. What, what are those avenues? Uh, Facebook. Yeah. Uh, they do Skype. Okay. And they also do um, uh, conference calls. Got it. Well, they're going to yeah. be excited to know that you were able to Skype into this one. Well, they helped me. They helped me <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, we got a, a couple minutes left. You ready for the rapid-fire round? Let's do it. All right. So uh, how, would you, how would you define success to a five-year-old? You have reached success when you have found your purpose in life. When you have found your purpose in life. That means, I mean, everybody knows what it is. You know, I know years ago, I knew my purpose was teaching. My wife would tell you. And, you know, and the whole time, uh, through my whole life endeavors, I had to put into work to become a great teacher. And my life experiences, all those things come together. But I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, beyond, and that's why I think I'm so successful in teaching and being a club advisor is because my students and my peers know that I'm doing what I really enjoy doing. So that's what I was explain to a five-year-old is whatever you want to do. You'll be surprised how many five-year-olds have a general idea of what they want to do. I've just talked to my, one of my sons, my, 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 my brother, and he told me that he already knows what his five-year-old daughter wants to do. <laughs> now, mind you, it's okay for sometimes for us to change our minds. That's okay. So as long as we have our eyes on a goal, I think we're heading in the right direction. So maybe we all knew what we were meant to be here for at a young age, and then gradually we forget it, or we or we we get so we get so we make it so complicated to understand this concept called purpose. Because I can't tell you the number of times a college student has said to me, uh, they're they're anxiety ridden, fearful because they're graduating, they have no clue what they're supposed to be doing. Well, you know that's normal, but what happens is, which once you find your purpose, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your purpose? You know it. I told him. I told him. Uh, my response is usually I'd say, "Calm down." <laughs> yes. Because yeah, calm down. because I time. I know a lot of thirty and forty year olds that are just starting to figure it out. And, Absolutely. And and sometimes we and this is this delayed gratification that we we as a society want everything now now now. Um, but you know it's like it, good. This is what this is what I knew, and then we'll continue on with rapid fire. When I was graduating. Um, I had I had a, a lack of patience. Um, uh, I had a lack of patience, but more time. And now I have more patience, but less time. Right. <laughs> and I recognize that good things they take time to build, and I'm okay with that. It's just tricky now because I don't have as much time to to test a lot of things out like I used to. So I agree. All right, moving on. Why is college worth the cost? You understand that particularly, first you have to understand that in the United States of America, there are people coming from all over the world to get an education in this country. Not only that, our society has changed. To be successful in the United States years ago, you can do it with an eighth grade education and raise your family and be very successful. Then it, it, it came a requirement to have a high school diploma to reach certain levels. In order to get into the executive part of our society, if that's what you want to do, 
you have to have that education. And what the education just basically shows is that you have certain knowledges and skills in math, science, uh, history, and philosophy that's going to make you a well-rounded person. And not only that, it's going to show that you know how to get things done based on sound research and evidence-based practices. And so there's going to be less opportunity for mistakes being made. That's what that college education is going to do for you. Got it. All right, moving on. Uh, what's one thing on your desk besides your computer that you couldn't live without? A calendar. That's easy. <laughs> Can't live without a calendar. Do you have a physical? Is it physical and you write appointments in? A physical calendar. It never it never goes down. <laughs> it, I can't get uh, viruses on it. It's so funny you say that because my iCal and my, my computer right now is just like destroyed. And, and I tell you, as soon as I lost my calendar, I was so lost. <laughs> well, I was one of the last persons uh, from the baby boomer generation to put away their carousel yeah, yeah, or yeah. presentations and go to PowerPoint. Because <laughs> I was so afraid that the PowerPoint was not going to work and I was going to do a presentation and not be able to do the presentation because the computer wouldn't work. Yeah. So when everybody was using PowerPoint on the computer, I would still walk around with this big carousel with your uh, slides that you put in the little carousel. Yeah, oh yeah. I've been doing that for years. PowerPoint been out for years, and I still walk around with my carousel. <laughs> technology. you got to trust technology. I know. It's a blessing and a curse sometimes. It is. Uh, all right, final question uh, for the rapid fire. What's the, what's the last book that you read? Another easy one. Thomas Jefferson on leadership. Oh. And for most of my students in, 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 at Tidewater Community College, they go through a lot of, they've gone through a lot of life experiences and for, for most students that go to community college. And Thomas Jefferson said in his book on leadership is, one, the first step to leadership is taking control of yourself. That's the first step. He says step two in leadership is never allowing your past life circumstances control you. There's a lot of people that use past circumstances to control their future. And Thomas Jefferson says no. Everybody that had things that happened to them in their life or in their family or their lifestyle in the past, that's in the past. He said don't let those past circumstances control your future. Look forward, work hard, and achieve your goals. And a lot of students can relate to that, particularly when you hear it from someone we study all the time and criminal justice, justice, Thomas Jefferson. And sometimes they need to hear that. Sometimes students have to have the okay to release those things in the past. They have to have the, the, the approval to release those things in the, pla- in the past so they can fulfill their American dreams. And so that's why uh, it's very important for me to share that with them from Thomas Jefferson. I can't think of a better way just to close out with that right there because that's solid, that's solid advice for, for adults and students uh, uh, across the board. And, and I Everyone has some past circumstances that we can use to stop us from succeeding. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. And some of us allow those things to stop us from succeeding. Yeah. It gives us an excuse to quit. And Thomas Jefferson says, don't let that happen. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said, uh, "I, I, I may walk. I, I may walk forward slowly, but I never walk backwards." Absolutely, you got to keep going. Yeah. Yes. Good. All right. Well, Rick, uh, let me uh, just close out with uh, 
um, a, a thank you. And I knew from the moment I saw you in that room, I was like, we got to get him on the podcast because not only your energy, but uh, your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience. Uh, I, I feel like we probably could have gone into about 30 other topics and you would have been just as, just as keen to share good knowledge. Uh, so I appreciate your time uh, in, in sharing with the Student Affairs Spectacular community. Hey, and thank you for all that you do also. My students are still talking about you and your presentations, and we still got some of the stuff that you brought to the campus that we're using. I, thank you again. I appreciate it, Rick. All right, take care, and uh, I'll let you know as soon as this goes live. Wonderful. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you want to help us out, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher or iTunes, or just share out the show so other people can find all the cool stuff we talk about every single week. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Student Affairs Spectacular Podcast.